0: Love, talk Radio. This is all about wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, solar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert Rod.
1: Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people on trying
0: to make wine less confusing and more friendly, from coast to coast. And around the world.
1: You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that.
0: Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash All About Wine BTR. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash All About Wine BTR. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. There he is. Six feet apart, people. Six feet apart.
2: Six feet. Come on, people. Break on, it up. Spread it out. You. You. Over.
1: There you go. Thank you. That's right. Get yeah. out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> the law will
2: come after us. The yes, law will do. come after us.
1: Yes, we will. No more
2: we'll than. Whew, officially. for 10
1: people making a lot of noise,
2: for 10 people. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes.
1: They make
2: a lot of noise. <laughs> I never thought about that.
1: <laughs> you know, for
2: 10 people. For 10 you are people. Very low.
1: Yep. Yes, you are. You good, know, we appreciate your enthusiasm. But <laughs> say that 36 Ten square feet around you.
2: That's what it is. 36, Ooh, square, is that what it, 36 feet. Yeah. square feet. Well, now you make it, it sound is. like a huge area.
0: It is it's a like, huge area. <laughs> six in every direction. Sure. Wow. You no, know,
1: I mean, it's not, you know, you go six feet in front of you, then six feet behind you, and on both sides, and then that angles. 36 square feet.
2: Hmm. That, hmm. I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah, I no, so. you don't think about that aspect of it, but that's, you know, I mean, <clears throat> that's a lot more than what people realize. You know, oh, I'm six feet. No, you're not. You know, it's 36 square feet around yeah. your space. Yeah. yeah it's wow. just really. All about Wine. Yes. We, we are live Thursday, back. April the 2nd, 2020, at seven hundred three p.m. If you're listening to us now, thank you. If you're on Facebook, then thank you. We pulled you in and we were talking about stuff. We welcome you. In welcome to All About Wine. And all of you who are listening on archives, thanks again. All we've got to thanks Thanks to all the people out there. Now's a good time to listen to this, too. We mentioned this last week, and I'll say it again. Since all these states and everywhere across the country and everybody is saying, stay in, stay in, stay in, because you're not supposed to be around people. We don't want to spread this horrible bug to everybody, especially old people. I mean, this is, I hate to say it, but if older people get it, it could be the last thing they get. So, <clears throat> Be cautious. Be cautious of people around you, be cautious of what you're doing, and be conscious of everything. You're saying something about, you know, I think California is requiring masks, any type of mask, when you're going out. Uh, but don't cut your face. Wash your hands. You know, I don't need to repeat all this. You've all heard it. You keep hearing it over and over and over. So just do it. It's a simple task all the rules and do it. We're going to talk a little bit about the coronavirus tonight during the show. Uh, I've got some wine news that ties in with the coronavirus. But, uh, basically, take care of yourself and listen to all of the wine. Hope you picked up the wine you need, too, this past week because a lot of states are closing down and putting restrictions on stuff and all. So, If you go to your liquor store, then be careful, but good chance to pick up wine set back and listen to episodes of All About Wine. If you just just recently became a listener of All About Wine, you've got a little over ten years of All About Wine episodes to listen to. So there you go. There's a lot of a lot of time you can kill by listening to All About Wine. Use up your days of being, uh, I keep saying quarantine, that's not the word, it's uh, equestered. I keep saying it's,
2: you know, but either way. You know. <laughs> stay at home, in, stay inside. Stay at home, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the word. No. Stay inside.
1: Stay inside. No, <laughs> so, nothing new in the world, Mike and I were talking, we just agreed there is nothing new going on in the world. Mike has been watching so much TV that he finally broke his TV. So he's been trying to rebuild mm-hmm. that.
2: Burned it uh, down.
1: <laughs> yeah. Bad. yeah <laughs> he Just said.
0: No, this is too
1: much. And I don't even. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get that done. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the TV are going through going through quite a bit right now. I mean, uh, it's it's tough on him. We just got our big one not, not too long ago, so we still got thing. And we signed up for curiosity too. You all probably seen that advertised out there on, on TV. I
2: just all got it characters. the other day myself. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we
1: just we just got yeah. it about a week ago. Great oh, little yeah. channel. I mean there's lots of shows on there. And they're I all not like an mm-hmm. hour or movies or anything. There's you, you can click on something and it lasts for like eight minutes or Five minutes or stuff mm-hmm. like that and little bits of information and stuff and it's it's really neat and they've got a special i think 11.99 now for a first
2: year mm-hmm. so uh, that's not, not bad good. at all yeah
1: no no not at all i mean and it's got a lot of stuff on there i mean just really really a lot of neat stuff so here's something else after you get finished listening to all the episodes of all about wine then curiosity channels and Good way to go. Yeah, it is a good,
2: we good should program. We should put the wine show up there. Aren't people curious about wine?
1: <laughs> they are. Hey. You're absolutely right. That's just a curiosity. So Con-
2: contact them. <laughs> so, yes, we'll have to do that. Contact
1: them and say hey. curious about you know. what? Yeah.
2: So we can yeah. You know, and,
1: and then if if they do video we can always just have pictures of vineyards and stuff like Slide, that. Slideshow. Slideshow sure. of vineyards.
2: The, uh, what I do a uh, couple weeks ago, we covered the um, the, you know, the glassy wing sharpshooter and the yes. uh, lantern, uh, spider lantern. I, I was posting little pictures of them in the corner when <laughs> as you were talking.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> <there you laughs> go.
2: Yeah, man, that is one ugly bug. See, we can put that kind of stuff on there. <laughs> That's
1: right. You know, we can pull that up. <laughs> there you go. A, lots of yeah. contact
0: here on channel. See, Let's see
1: about <laughs> doing have I got or, a or deal you. for you? Yeah, we got a deal for you. <laughs> that's right. Now, well we for cheap. <laughs> so but nothing else is happening. Anybody out there anything deciding to do? Good for you. Uh but with everyone required to stay in, so we won't spread this bug. Two week incubation period. That's the reason for the stay into, or all of you are saying, why
2: do we have to do this? It's
1: because it's a two-week incubation period. Within two weeks, you're starting to see signs. If you're not around anyone, if you're not seeing anyone, if you're not touching anyone, then you're safe. But if you touch someone today and they've got the bug, it takes about two weeks or so you to start showing signs. That's why you need to stay away from other people because during those two weeks, you can spread the bug. It's as simple as that. If I get it and I go out and I touch 10 people not knowing it in the next two weeks, and then they touch 10 people not knowing it in their next two weeks, Mm -hmm. then before you know it, we've got, what did I say, a million cases in the world now. So that's how it works. So so just stay in and be well and drink wine and listen to all about wine. You
2: know, it gets me, they have these, uh, satellite testing areas where you can uh, you know i think they're pretty much well they're still doing it but uh, you can you make an appointment you drive in like i think they were doing raymond james stadium or something one time yeah. but uh so you go in let's say you're you know you fall within the category where you need to be tested and you come back negative and that's it you still can have the virus or get the virus so you still get the virus. You, may, you drive out of there going woohoo, i don't have it and then all of a sudden you know a week or two later um I, I don't know I, I just i just yeah <laughs> you got symptoms yeah. and it's like oh my gosh here we go again you know that that kind of thing i mean it's that's the that's the tough thing it's like you can do all this stuff and all the precautions and everything and and step out or or meet someone at the wrong time and you know there you go it's 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 a terrible thing it's just a mm-hmm.
1: and i would say that stupid false positives and or false negatives so you know you, you just if you stay in and take care of yourself, you don't have to worry about that, but yeah. it's yep. uh, you know, and you all can get sick, and you can spread it. you might not get sick i had I was watching t v yesterday, and there was a, a young guy on there, uh twenty something, and he says, "Well, I'm not worried about getting sick, I'll get over it, I'll feel fine, and all that stuff, but he doesn't realize that he's a carrier, and every time he goes around anyone else he could be passing on to them, and
2: they won't mm-hmm. get over
1: it they possibly the so so no matter what right. age you are or anything you need know, yeah. to you know be cautious yeah. of other people and else around so but you've heard all this stuff, I'm sure, but we just want to emphasize it more because we are concerned about our listeners
0: so mm-hmm.
1: take care of yourself. Definitely. <laughs> Well, I got some stuff to talk about tonight. I got a few things that are uh, about the coronavirus and stuff that's not. And it's, as I'm sure, when really start getting tired of things about the coronavirus all the time, but I've got things to say about the coronavirus and other things that's not about the coronavirus. First, I do. I found something here which was really interesting. This is uh, uh, the source. From uh, wine industry network and it says facing the headwinds and forging a path forward for wine and he goes into La it's a lot of these pretty long article and he says, it's a bumpy road and uh, it's uh, there's like an eight year cycle uh, in the wine industry that it goes up and down and right now we're in and up but it's starting to go down the harvest this past year was big. It was very, very big. We have a glut of grapes out there. And because of the glut of grapes, they had to destroy a lot of grapes. A lot of grapes were dumped. And it's, it's causing prices to drop a little bit because of that, because there's so much out there. But, it, and then he goes on and he talks about you know, different things. It basically is geared toward the the wine industry personnel, which you know, we all, I, you know, I, all the listeners out there, you're part of the wine industry personnel because you buy wine, you drink wine, you keep all these other things going. So I, I look at you, on that. but the marketing is critical, and you know, always searching for the perfect wine. It's a constant quest for wine to be something that people are going to jump on and grab and run with and it's going to get great reviews and all that. The thing that caught me on this was they have a little chart here. And this was put together by uh, a a firm called Rabobank, R-A-B-O-B-A-N-K, Rabobank. And they do all sorts of statistics and charts and, and things like that. This chart shows that in 2014, 26% of the population was millennial and Gen X, or Gen Z, not X, Gen Z. This was in 2014, 26%, whereas 44% were boomers and the silent generation. Now, the boomers are what, 45 to 64, I think. And the silent generation was the World War II generation, the the parents of the boomers. And the millennial is the kids of the boomers and the Gen Z is the kids of the millennials. So The years, I'm not sure, but that pretty much sums it up. But 2014, 44% of the population was boomers and silent generation. 26% was millennials and Gen X. 2015, it started to get closer together. By 16, it's closer together, yeah. 2017 is closer. 2019, it was like 36% were millennials and 38% were boomers and silent. 2020, it inverted. This is the year that the millennials and Gen Xs have taken over the population majority from the boomers and silent generation. And it is continued to be so on and on. And it is predicted that within the next 10 years, by 2030, the boomers and song generation will only comprise twenty percent of the population, whereas the millennial and Gen Z will consist of fifty-four percent of the generation. No, it doesn't equal to a hundred percent because of other uh, age groups and other factors and all that. But and you know, by twenty thirty, you're going to start getting some. Maybe it's just going to throw it out of whack and stuff too. So, But the point being is, it is now changed. And I've talked about millennials in here and how millennials aren't drinking as much. I'm talking about how millennials have switched over to cans and lighter type drinks and sweeter type wines and wine in a can, wine in a box. Uh, just a whole different type of approach to wine than what the boomers had or had or still have. And because of that, the wine industry is changing. It's, and it's going to continue to evolve to cater to the boomers or to the millennials more because the boomer generation is, well, actually we're dying off and. And so it's starting to taper off a little bit there. And so the wine industry has to adapt to the new generation of drinking habits. And that also involves the new millennials. And Gen Z is drinking more of the ready-to-drink cocktails, ready-to-drink spritzers, things like this that you just jump in the store, you grab and you're out the door. It's not something that you would pick up a bottle of wine and you would look at all the aspects of it and everything. It's more of, well, this is this is good, I'll drink this with dinner tonight, as opposed to, well, this has a nice bouquet, look at the color on this, things like that. So it is changing. It is changing and, and the wine industry needs to understand this. It's not, not to say that the millennials don't enjoy it, don't understand why, and don't start looking at it more. But overall, statistics are showing that they haven't grasped wine as much as the boomers have. So we'll see. It's uh, a, a strange transformation there, a strange inversion that's happened this year in that age group, and it's going to end up affecting... Industry, I think, in the long run. But I saw that, I thought that was interesting, and let me share that with you. And let's see, I've got some other stuff. Here. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, okay. Virginia. We uh, talked about Virginia in the past, and things were going on, with them and what was happening. And uh, I said the 20, find so. these articles, and I bookmark them so that I can format right it up. And then for some reason the bookmark disappear, but everybody has computers, you understand how that works.
0: Hmm. Let's
1: see if this is Yes, this is. Okay the delay there, people. New varieties for Virginia and the East Coast. We well, talked about Virginia wineries and Virginia wines at a different time. We were visiting Virginia wineries. Now's a good chance for me to do it, too, since everybody's supposed to be at home. When the Virginia Farm Winery Act was passed by the legislature 40 years ago, Virginia only had six wineries and less than 300 acres of grapes. Today, they have 307 wineries and about 3,700 acres of vineyards. So you can see that the Virginia Farm Winery Act really did help them. In just 40 years, they've loaded on the number of wineries and everything. The grape being grown in Virginia, though, have always been the classic ones and people, they continue to grow the classic ones, but they're looking at what else they can do and what else they can grow there. Now, there's a couple of groups that are big on that. I get I get a newsletter from one of them. It's the Virginia uh, Wine Council. Now, they had a meeting scheduled for February 19th, 21st in Charlotte, Virginia, that they actually were able to hold and before they started to clamp down on this coronavirus and the uh, COVID-19, I usually refer to. And so the meeting was held, and they had a chance to talk about some of the new griefs that Virginia is starting to embrace and starting Work with along with a lot of other places on the East Coast. Uh, Cornell University is always developing grapes. We've talked about this over and over about how Cornell is, is constantly coming up with new grapes and how they have worked with different places to try to get the grapes going and all that. And we've actually talked to people from Cornell, uh, past shows, if you're interested in that. But there is, uh, Cornell University of Agritech has conducted the grape breeding program and genetic engineering programs in Geneva, New York. And they've named 14 new wine and table grapes. Valvin Muscat, which is 75% vinifera. Uh, Corette Noor, a vigorous and productive red grape that requires only four to six sprays per season. A Noorette. It's a red variety with good tannin structure and resistance to downy mildew. And it's rather herbaceous and grassy characteristics. And these all were named in 2006. In 2013, they released the Armella, which is a hybrid of Traminet, which is very winter hardy, which is, Cornell tries to find that. And it actually ripens better than the Traminet. And it yields about seven and a half tons per acre. I mean, anything over five is great. They, they try to get five as a standard. And then another red grape, an Arendel, which is resistant to downy mildew and powdery mildew. So they, Cornell's, came up with quite a few grapes over the years. And the there's been researchers, not just in Cornell but all over Europe, who've been trying to find stuff. The changing of the climate has caused these people who are doing these studies to try to step up their game because it is well, not just warmer, but the warmth is causing different things to flourish, the mildews and the uh, fungus, insects, all of this stuff it can be affected by the change of climates and so you can't just say well this it's warming up now we need to get a grape that's going to be a little bit harder in warmer weather but the warmer weather brings out other problems too so it's a constant thing that they have to come up with and trying to find grapes that require fewer sprays and are still resistant to no and all this stuff and, and ultimately it's, it's the testing and this is something that they are looking at, too. Will this grape result in a good wine? Will this grape give us something that we're going to be happy with in the end result? And will people like it? So it's a constant, constant work. And there's lots of new grapes coming out all the time. A uh, red variety called an Arb- Artaban and a Vidoc are a couple that came out of France. There's uh, Forel and Volatis, that uh, are white grapes that came out of France, uh, that were released in 2017. Uh, There's also uh, Matisse, which is one from the Bordeaux region. Germany has been working on new varieties and all that. So it's a constant thing. Not only there, but here. Here meaning in the United States. Uh, grapevine research in Long Island has been an ongoing thing for uh, a long time. The uh, eastern end of Long Island has a marine time climate and summer temperatures below 90 degrees with long, warm falls. And of course, the occasional tropical storm, even hurricanes coming in. And the winters rarely go below zero, but it's still cold on the grave. As long as you keep it above zero, a lot of the grapevines will survive. It's any prolonged temperatures in the ground below 15, 20 degrees can kill a lot of grapevines. Uh, The the soil in Long Island is about 70% quartz sand, 20% silt, and and the remaining 10% is clay. And so, a lot of the vineyards are close to groundwater, which which is produced in that region. That's rather than how they get the water out of that. So the spraying has to be very minimal. The uh, whatever they're putting on these grapevines, regardless of for what reason, whatever they put on these grapevines has to be controlled because it goes right down into the water system. This is what they're doing there. So. Because of this, and because that it's good, Long Island is currently just growing vinifera grape varieties, or vinifera, whoever and however you want to pronounce always said vinifera. Uh, But they have planted, and they're looking at doing new ones. And they've got some that are in test right now. Grapes like Aligote, which is a Bordeaux variety. Uh, It's climate change. They're looking at doing better. Didn't do well when they tried it you know, 20 years ago, but it's, it looks like it might be better now. Actually, 30 years ago. A Malvisia bianco uh, attracts bees, and but it has big clusters, and uh, it might work well. A Muscat otanel, early variety. It, uh, is, it's an early picking one. A Moscato um, Giola which is part of the muscat grape family. Uh, and this one's not going to look like it might not work for them. A petite mincing, uh, harvest that late in Long Island, which might not be a good good deal. Another thing they need to worry about Long Island, like If you listen to earlier programs, we've talked to wineries and wine people in Long Island, and they're constantly battling birds. And so these are some of the things that they have to cover up and everything. So they got to be available for that. There's a new one also called a toque frioleno. Uh, they said it has a great almond uh, marzipan flavor, but the yield is really low, only about two ton an acre on a good year, which would create a very expensive grape. Uh, they tested some in the 90s, the Muscat Blanc for Grenache, uh, uh the, was that Vernakian? Oh Somebody's calling. In. Uh It was Representative Bill
2: Ricketts on those two.
1: Is this to This is
2: um, Are you running Are running a contest now?
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Caller number 5. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> Oh, it's Bill is telling us to stay in our house. Yeah. That's our representative here oh. in Florida. So, yeah, good for him. Uh, plus, the uh, couple in the future, Vermentino, which is shows good and good minerality, and then a Rackerskilly, which was just planted in 2019, so they haven't gotten results of it. The varieties that are being grown in Long Island are just standard, coming from uh, Dornfelder, Limburger, Lind, Malbec, Pinot Noir, Sentovici, Barbera, Syrah, uh, Dolcetto, Petit Syrah. A lot of these are, are standards in there. But you go down the coast a little bit, Maryland is also doing a lot of experimentation. Uh, for those of you on the East Coast over here, you know, check out your, your local wineries and see what they're growing on the Chardonnay is is a new one and that's starting to show some promise in Maryland. Pinot Pinot Blanc, uh, similar to Pinot Gris. Albarino, Columbard, uh Vermentino, Melbeck, Carminier, they're even trying to do that. Uh, It is susceptible to late-season rot, and it's not good, cold grape. And Maryland does get cold, depending on where they plant. A lot of the Maryland vineyards are on the coast, so they've got the variety of weather that controls the temperature a little bit more there. The uh, red rice, now this is odd. White varieties under review in Maryland, was the ones I just read you, and they included Carmenere in that. But the Carmenere is a red grape. Hmm. The rest that they're looking at: Barbera, Suzua, Tempranillo, uh, Montepulciano, Grüner uh, Veltliner, Rosan, and a new one out of Europe, which does not have a name name. It's only referred to as SK77-5-3. And uh, Gamaret, which is a Swiss variety, uh, along with a Gourneur, which is a Swiss variety. So they're, Merlin's trying to pick up, get different ones and all that. And this is great if they can get people to taste them and embrace them. We had a guest on that was talking about that, too, how difficult it can be to get people to try something new but yet, once they do, they find it interesting and they enjoy it. And so they need to get people a little bit more daring. I don't want to say educated because that's that might be the word, but I don't see it as education. I see it as just getting people daring. Get out there and try this other stuff and see what it's like and see what it's doing. A lot of those grapes that I mentioned there are different different plantings throughout Virginia, which was my original topic here. Uh, Virginia has four grapes that they're finding that grow very well, Cabernet Franc, Guignet, Petit Rodeau, and Petit Mincing. Uh, They will make wines that sell. Uh, They do have the classic Cabernet Chardonnay, Guignet, and Virginia, that does well. The, uh, let's see, where's his name? Uh, Pacina, who is a uh, winemaker at what wine? Oh, Chrysalis Winery. And they have a big planting you know, of Norton grapes there, uh, 40 acres out of their total of 70. So 40 acres is dedicated to Norton. And But he says that the Cabernet Franc was not a non, commonly known as Cabernet Sauvignon. But Cabernet Franc is the most planted variety in Virginia today. I went, wow, when I read that earlier. Cabernet Franc is doing very well. It looks like uh, a lot of work one-on-one. The variety is now established and it took from the 1990s to now to get here. So Cabernet Franc, I love a good Cabernet Franc. If you are out looking for something a little bit different, pick yourself up a Cabernet Franc. Uh, F-R-A-N-C. It's a Really, really one of my favorite grapes, one of my favorite wines, along with Barbera, Carminere, and those are a couple of others. And uh, Oine, right? That's if you're looking at wines, Winey is very good. Simeon is also very good. So, there's just you know some of my recommendations for wines at the end of this, but new interesting grapes being planted up and down the East Coast. These were all introduced during the Virginia Vineyards Association winter meetings, which was held back in the middle end of February before they actually shut down everything and all this stuff was available out there at that time. Uh, And let's see, while we're talking about states, let's go to Colorado for a little bit here and talk about what they're doing. Their industry is really taking off, too. And they're doing some great stuff there. The first recorded planting of grapes in Colorado took place in 1890 by George Crawford. George Crawford is also the founder of Grand Junction, Colorado. He planted 60 acres of grapes and other fruit in Palisade, Colorado. And then in 1899, it was reported that 5,800... Or, or, I'm sorry, 586,300 pounds of grapes were harvested and 1,744 gallons of wine produced. This was in 1899. A, a decade later, that increased to 1,037,614 pounds of harvested grapes. So in 1900, they were over... About one and a third, over one and a third million pounds of grapes. And then in 1916, the probation was enacted in Colorado, and that halted everything. In fact, it halted it so much that throughout the state of Colorado, all the vineyards were uprooted. But when Prohibition ended in 1933, it didn't make any difference. It wasn't until as late as 1968 that the grape and wine industry took off again in Colorado. 68. You know, that's, that's sad. In 82, the Rocky Mountain Association of Vintners and Viticulturists, now known as the Colorado Association for Vin- Viticulture and Enology, or CAVE, as in that name, started. And if you want to look it up, you can go www.winecolorado.org and then also Colorado Wine Industry Development Board created the Colorado Department of Agriculture at coloradowine.com and so there's a couple of good sources for Colorado wines and Grand Junction was recognized as a designated ABA in 1990 in 2001 the West Elks region North Fork was also a designated AVA. So them there, I think they get a couple more around the state also. And what makes Colorado wine so unique is that it is among the highest elevation that grapes are growing in the world, wine grapes are growing in the world. There is, most of it is between 4,000 and 7,000 feet. And that's just the altitude there. That's not like, you know, you're climbing up the side of a mountain. Most of the grapes are grown on the western side of the state. Ninety uh, percent of the grapes grown in the state are grown in Mesa and Delta counties, which is on the west bank. Uh, you know, the bank being the bank off the mountains. Common varieties are Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, and Riesling. And they've got a full-time statewide viticulture and professor, Dr. Horst Casperi who uh, is constantly researching and finding stuff there and trying to find new stuff about Colorado grapes and Colorado vines and all that stuff. So uh, it is taking off. The Colorado agriculture industry is taking off. We, we talked to a couple of wives in Colorado, but most of them are on the West Slope. That's where it is. The grape vines used to be apple orchards. And because of trade agreements, NAFTA, if you will, that allowed apples coming in from other countries and was actually becoming cheaper to ship them in and sell them than it was to go in Colorado and do it there and labor and everything else, they eat down the trees and plowed up the ground and put in grapevines. So a lot of the grapevines used to be in apple orchard areas, and now they're the grapevines. Just like Kentucky, you go down to Kentucky and walk into a winery, and almost every one of them will start the conversation with you as they hand you the menu. Hi, we used to be a tobacco farm. Now we're a winery. This is the way it is in Western Slope. But two counties, Mesa and Delta is the majority of the by uh, the, uh, 90% of the grapes are grown in those two counties. I'm going to ask you give me a minute here because I'm going to write down this, this address before I use it and see if I... And get a hold of somebody there because if I, you know how difficult it is. Okay, see. Colorado State. You, okay, thank you for your patience. So, Colorado, uh, great wine area. If you see any, if you live in Colorado, then. See any Colorado wines, and it's well worth picking them up and trying them because there's some great ones coming out on there. I can't remember what Colorado wine I had at the wine room. Remember, I told you I had everything stacked up. All right, this is interesting. I, I'm judging at wine events. At uh, judgings. Uh, you submit your wine and see how you're going to do, them. and it's pretty impressive. You know, I mean, you're, you're getting yourself recognized by judges who should be knowledgeable and all that. Whenever we were talking to wineries, uh, one of our favorite questions: Do you have any awards? And most everybody did. They you know, you're being judged by people pitted against wineries that are your equals, and to walk away with a medal, gold, silver, whatever, or recognition, is always a good thing. Uh, Christian Wolf, who is a tasting director for Menninger Vertog, and he is a an organizer of a lot of these tastings and getting judges asked the questions does, viticult, or does cultural background influence wine judging? How about gender? Male and female, does that affect the scores? And what about age? Which are interesting, good questions. So he said he was just interested because he was saying a lot of women are tasting different than men and there is a specific German way of describing wine that people from Australia judge don't, and they describe it in a different way. So he was curious if these all had an influence on the final score, what they were doing. Twice a year, Mundus Veni, which is organization that does brings more than 280 international judges together to taste in groups of six or seven. So, Over the summer edition of 2019, Wolf created eight special groups and there was a table of women, a table of men, a table of Germans, a table of older jurors, a group of younger jurors, people drawn from the wine trade, a table of sommeliers and a table of wine writers. So you're talking about a variety here, but they weren't mixed. They were all separate tables, all of the same well, background or sex or age or whatever. Each group was presented with a flight of wines that was also given to another table. while Individual wines were doubled and given to different juries. So it was cross-section and double-cross-section. And they gave the same wines to different ones. They pass it around. They gave double tastings instead of changing wine. It was the second wine that was. the taste was the same to see how the scores went and all that. And regardless of age, gender, or nationality, or anything, the wines received the same scores. Now, that was interesting. It was interesting seeing that the scoring between those tables, young and old, male and female, were really very close, said Wolf. There was one exception. The scores varied a lot when it came to brittomyosis. And brittomyosis is uh, a taste you may possibly taste but not understood. With older judges penalizing bread affected wines much more than younger judges wasn't sure if it was because the older judges had the experience to recognize it or if the younger judges just figured that's part of the taste and ignored it and didn't punish it for having read. So, But bottom line is, he said, that it makes no difference who is judging it, male, female, or anybody, age or nationality or anything. The scores were the same. They were within a point of each other, two points at the most of each other. This has been repeated in 2019. In June, he also did another one. And he had 50 wine professionals from around Scandinavia. And he tasted 660 wines from 200 German producers. And he did a test on some of those. And again, the scores were all about the same give or take a couple of points. So it is interesting to think that, okay, if you're going to get a medal, it's not just because one judge overrode another or that one judge judged this wine and another judge judged one next to you. So therefore you got the advantage because you know it's all pretty much equal now goes on to explain something else there, too, which is is very true. It says the judges must fill out in uh, a detailed sheet rating the wines on a number of specific attributes. He thinks that the scoring system, often criticized for being bureaucratic, is the key to the consistency of the results. And this is very true. When I was teaching scoring during my wine classes, If you score a wine, you break it down to five categories, giving 10 points to each category that you're allowed, or giving it five points, I don't care. But you break down the wine to the five categories, give it smell, aroma bouquet, taste, and aftertaste, this is going to give you a pretty standard score. You can't smell a wine and go, oh, this stinks. I'm going to give it one point. And then taste the same wine and say, oh, I love this. This is great. I'm going to give it 10 points, simply because they're going to balance each other out. You can only give it for being good and only give it one or zero for being bad. And it keeps it reasonable. And this is what they did on, on these. They, there's a score sheet that they have to give them. If, uh, you, you can't decide to give a wine 93 points. You have to go through a process and focus on the different aspects. And then the sheets later when they picked it up here, the judges scored the way that they did, and that's why the scoring is always consistent. So whenever you walk into a winery and you see that they have medals there, it's something you say, okay, good for you. It's They were judged by people who knew what they were doing against their – peers or the contemporaries in the industry, and they were ruled as among the judges the best in that category. So, congratulate them on their abilities to make a wine that stands out like that. It it is it's a good thing. It's quite a uh, thing to be able to do that with the judges, because the judges are going to score it way they should be scored. That's always a question that people ask. How can the judges be good? Well, they are because they know what they're doing. Corona. Okay, right now everyone thinks virus, but Corona is a virus. And what has happened to this Corona beer sales? Corona it Has it influenced people? Is people doing an association with the name and staying away from it? Well, Constellation Brands, which is one of the biggest in the country, actually in the world, as far as distribution and all that, Constellation Brands, says sales of Corona Extra remains strong against unfounded claims about the impact of the COVID-19 outbreak on its business and, in particular, its similarity, named Corona Beer Brand, similarly named. So, not affecting it. The brand has attracted numerous articles and social media posts claiming that the brand has been losing sales and brand equity due to its unfortunate naming similarity with coronavirus outbreak. But Constellation Brand says dollar sales of Corona Extra were up 5% in the U.S. in the week ending February the 16th. That's right when it started to hit the pan back then. A survey from PR firm 5W Public Relations published on Thursday the 27th of February said that 38% of beer-drinking Americans would not buy Corona under any circumstances, and 16% of beer-drinking Americans were confused about whether Corona beer is related to coronavirus, but in publishing there's no question that Corona beer is suffering because of the coronavirus, said the CEO, while the brand has claimed that consumers understand there's no linkage between the virus and the beer. Is still, they thought, was going to be a disaster for Corona brand, and it has not. It hasn't affected it at all. Well, good. People are intelligent enough to know the difference. That's good. You have to give people a little bit of credit for that. Based on recent retail trans Constellation brand says sales at Corona Extra saw dollar sales up 5% in US in the last four weeks. And nearly double the sales in the last 52 week trend. so it's not an issue it's not anything anybody's you know associating the two of the beer and the virus and people are still buying beer i i don't know why they would confuse it anyway to me it just it seems just because the name's the same it doesn't mean that it's the virus floating in the in the beer you pop open, you want to get the virus, pop open a Corona beer, you know. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> InBev, AB InBev, owns the Corona beer brand, although in, in AB InBev is estimated that they've lost revenue as a result of the COVID-19 outbreak at around $285 million for the first two months of 2020. And it was, this has been attributed to the fact that uh, the Chinese market, and not so much just the global market, but the Chinese market, Budweiser, Stella Artois, and Corona grew over that period, but they, embev has other Brands that you don't hear about all the time that aren't real familiar. That's one of the reasons why they have really been affected. Things that have been since of China, and I'm sure because it's global. Because so this report came out uh, just about a month ago, exactly a month ago today, March. 2nd. So this report came out on March 2nd. So I'm sure it's, it has changed since then, too. But, Coronavir has not lost sales because they are Corona. Uh, the name is Corona. So you, can, you can get that, that rumor stopped now. Another thing that Corona virus has done, COVID-19 has done, as it quarantined high-end glass plants in China. China was doing some glass plants. A lot of Industry and I just guarantee the liquor, liquor industry, liquor industry likes to have special glasses, likes to have things that are unique, bottles that are unique and shaped differently, and catches your eye. That's what it's all about. If they can catch your eye on the shelf, if the bottle is shaped a certain way, then it will draw and shake it the below I put our the winery port, strawberry port. Triangle bottle and people love the bottle. In fact, people used to come in and buy, we'd end up with empty bottles after tasting. We'd hang them up and sit them up on the shelf to sell them. And uh, we'd sell them like easy. People love those blue triangle bottles. If weren't. And so, because of that, why are you that type of bottle? Why are always looking at unique shaped bottles? And a company in China factories all around China have been shut down that make glass bottles, different glass bottles. Shipments of bottles from China glass plants ended at the end of January. And so they have looked for different places to buy it around the world. France has plants. Those have just recently shut down too. So it's ongoing continuous problem of trying to find the glass and the bottles that they need because of shutting down. Um, Anchor Glass Container Corporation of Tampa down here and Ardo Glass of Chicago are working to uh, try to make up some of the difference on that also. So not that there's a shortage of glass, there isn't. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that you know we have a, a glass problem. We don't. What we do have is a problem of specialty bottles more than anything. So uh, the, the China's been putting out some high-quality glass containers, and this is what's uh, what they're going to start missing. Uh, Higher than standard quality bottles, is eight to fifteen dollars for a case of 12 empties, which or going from 53 cents to a dollar 25 a bottle, uh, as opposed to Europe, which is 16 to 18 dollars a case, which jumps up the price tremendously and your costs all the way through the line, everything too. So and then it ends up costing us more money because we're buying it and they're not going to suck it in. So, every time you can get glass at a cheaper rate, it's better. And now they can't because China's glass plants have closed down and they're having to get glass from other sources, Mexico or Europe or whatever. Most of my glass, when I was getting came from Mexico. I, the company I was dealing with had their last manufacturer in Mexico, so uh, we weren't affected by that, but you may see a slight increase on your favorite beverage because, or your favorite wine, because of the coronavirus is shutting down plants in more than one place. No so China for sure, but I'm sure there's more than one place that is doing that. Uh, British Columbia up north of the border now. British Columbia used to be a big wine country. Uh, they did a lot of wine. They're now referring, now referring themselves to a weed country. The legalization of marijuana in Canada has caused us to switch over to a good growing area for Marijuana, they funded it, and very easily is be one of the areas uh, thriving energy that is great for farmers. Uh, the micro cultivation of cannabis is booming there. Farm tours are probably in the future, how they do it and what they grow with it and all that. Uh, Second-generation cannabis growers. uh, Already experiencing growing cannabis and applications for federal cultivation license and all this in British Columbia. So British Columbia and quote wine country now British Columbia quote weed country and they a lot a lot of there. Yes, here. Out any of the things in it that's going to make you high. And let's see, where is it? But it is still illegal in the United States by federal law. And well, actually, so is marijuana by federal law. What is
2: that Yes it
1: is But I can tell you about it though since I can't find it The there is a winery that made a hemp infused wine. It doesn't they say it doesn't get you high. There's nothing with it. They said, it's great, it just adds a lot of flavor to the wine itself. Creates a unique taste and a lot of flavor, and it was the type of flavor that they were looking for. It's a little bit unique. Oh, here it is. Okay. There we go. What is the name of the wine? The name of the wine is Silvering Vines created America's first hemp-infused wine. Uh, the founder and CEO of the uh, Binghamton, Binghamton New York Area Company said that he started this. And he started the project in 2017 with his father. And they planned uh, the seed for the idea of hemp-infused wine way back in 1997, but it was illegal. Uh, but '97, when they talked about it, the precursor to the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, the TTB, squished the idea. And so they had to stop. And now they started again. They made some again. It's a rosé, a sweet rosé. And it's not a weed wine. It's, it doesn't contain any CBD, so it's, it doesn't affect getting high or anything. It just enhances the flavor and texture, it makes it smoother wine and just little layer to the taste with earthy tones and stuff like that. But the TTB said, no, you can't do this. Hemp, there is a law that was put in the books that stated, uh, let's see, under the current policy, Herpins extracted from hemp flowers cannot legally be added to consumable products. And that's it. So, you, uh, by late 2019, Food and Drug Administration told Sovereign to stop, gave them a stop order. They can't do it. So, as of right now, they can't do their hemp line because it is part of the family that it cannot be added to consumer products or consumable products. That's the consumer, consumer. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with this going forward here. A lot of states around the country have legalized marijuana. A lot of them are legalizing the use of hemp, Making ropes and all sorts of stuff. Hemp is big, big variety of things they can use on that. So, but not New York and not federally. Federally is still against the law. So, and since the TTB is a federal agency, they say no. And I think that'll be it for tonight. So. uh, Uh, not yet. Not yet. Let me a couple more quick ones here. Let me go to these because, and these are these are quick ones, and I want not shave off those. Arizona has a new AVA, American Viticulture Area. Well, not yet. It is still proposed. If there's an AVA, you can comment on it. You can get a hold of. Uh, CTV, and make a comment on the AVA if you think there's too many, if you think it's not right, or whatever. This is the Verde Valley AVA. It's 125 acres. Uh, more than 80% of the crop was red varieties, including Syrah, Petit Syrah, Cabernet Sauvignon, San and Zinfandel. The top white varieties in the area, Malovesi, Bianchi, Guarnet, Chardonnay, and Vermintino And so this is uh, the new proposed. It includes two dozen vineyards and 11 wineries. So it's quite a wine area. If you are against this or if you want to make comments on this, or again, you can get a hold of uh, TTB or go to HTTPS uh, semicolon dash dash slash slash Bit.bit.ly slash 2TGAI1B, and that'll take you to the site. You can make comments on it. So uh, this is the current one. This article also says there are about 20 pending ABA applications before the TTB. Wow. I read that, and I thought 20? That's, that's a lot. This includes um, Palo Verde's Peninsula, AVA in Los Angeles, Long Valley Lake County, AVA in Lake County, and Alapalaca, AVA in Maui. So interesting, interesting what's coming up. 246 established AVA's in the United States, with 139 of them in California alone. So, American Viticulture area. Yeah. AVAs. If you're not familiar with what that is, check out archive programs. We've talked about AVAs a lot on the program. You shouldn't be familiar with them too. Get yourself familiar with them if you're not. If you want me to talk about it more I'll explain it to you more than, again, then you know email me so. And one last thing here before we go this evening. The fires and in Australia, this last uh, last fall. winter for us, summer for them. The crop damage from fire and smoke to vineyards. The wine Australia. has estimated that losses incurred as a result of fire damage and smoke taint will equate. To about 4% of the national wine grape crop. 4%. Doesn't seem like a whole lot, I know. Because when you start thinking 4%, but the fires were started in June 2019 and burned a day of around 18.6 million hectares and claimed 34 lives. Uh, Fires were burning in all six states of Australia. In uh, particularly concentrated in South Australia, Victoria, and New South Wales. Um, by January, around 1% of Australia's total vineyard area was lost, but that has increased to 4% for the final total now, as they put the numbers together and all that. But Wine Australia has now released a further estimate factoring in the impact of smoke taint that predicts that loss will equate to 60%. Thousand tons of grapes. 60,000 tons. So you say 4% and 60,000 tons. As uh, the phone's back of the smoke hasn't really been calculated. This is what you're saying right now. 4% figure incorporates both the smoke and fire losses. Uh, 1% fire damage figure is included as the 4%. So it's 4% doesn't seem like much, but when you start putting it in numbers like sixty thousand ton, that's a lot of wine and a lot of revenue and a lot of people's jobs and stuff that are affected by that. And then you have got the virus on top of it, which makes a difference. But four percent of the national of the country was affected by that wine grape crop, and now we're done. Um, up or down right. be sick off
2: That's what <laughs> I was mm. typing a uh, message to uh, one of the businesses you just talked to so uh, we'll see if I can All right. yeah, see if we can get them on the show that'd be kind of interesting Um me mm. about them again I will let uh, let's see finish that up Um all right, what are we at? We're at uh, April next show is April the ninth and um yeah I was just um, I was just on uh Sovereign Sovereign Vines. Sovereign Vines. Oh yeah. Um, um we'll see what, what happens. Um so uh, we will Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kinda of interesting. because like, oh. they yeah. list the wines and where you can find it. Um, find the wines, and I thought that was that was kind of um, I don't know, interesting, like uh, where to find them. Yeah. So um, yeah, I need to need to get them on the show. Uh, let's see, we will, yeah yeah, we'll uh, see if we can get them on. Maybe uh, next week, two weeks or something. Um, we will return on uh, April the ninth. That is next Thursday at seven p.m. Eastern time, and I just want to thank everybody for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And um, you all have a, a good week, and hope you'll return with us uh, next week. And thank you for uh, listening. And yes, be safe out there drink lots of wine. Yeah, yes, obviously. And we'll see you, we'll next see you all time. next
0: week. All right, thank you. Bye. Thanks. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.
1: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky
2: in the limo when we lost track of time.